my grief is often just in my back pocket. How compassionate can I be toward myself when it shows up? Welcome to This Whole Life, a podcast for all of us seeking sanity and sanctity, and a place to find joy and meaning through the integration of faith and mental health. I'm Pat Millay, a Catholic speaker, musician, and leader, and I'm here with my bride, Kenna, a licensed marriage and family therapist. This is the stuff she and I talk about all the time, doing dishes in the car on a date. We're excited to bring you this podcast for educational purposes. It's not therapy or a substitute for mental health care. So come on in, have a seat at our dining room table, and join the conversation with us. We are so glad you're here. So welcome back to This Whole Life Podcast. It is so good to be with all of you listeners here on episode 13 um, and to be with you, Pat. Hello. <laughs> and Father Nathan LaLiberté. Thank um, you for welcoming me back. Yeah, always, always. We love having you here and we know it's such a gift um, because your time is very valuable. Um, so thanks for sharing it with us. And... I marvel at your time just as much. So I'm glad it's mutual <laughs> admiration this, uh, this evening. God is good. <laughs> Making time appear out of nowhere, maybe. Um, well, before we get into our episode today um, on grief, um, which is a, a long time coming and we'll kind of talk about how this topic in particular transpired for us. But um, let's do as we do and check in with our highs and hards. Um, so Pat, if you wouldn't mind going first. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, my hard uh, recently has been, um, I feel <laughs> I feel a little self-conscious about this one and only because I have to think back, right? Because uh, you, um, wonderful person listening to this, what I don't want this to become for you and for me, maybe especially, is like Pat's bi-weekly venting about our toddler twins. I don't think I complain about their uh, habits that much. Uh, and I don't want to because they are beautiful and they are wonderful. They are valuable. I love them with every fiber of my being. There are occasionally moments where they do things that are inconvenient that are good opportunities for me to grow in virtue. And the one most lately has been them deciding to wake up at who knows what hour of the morning and just being up and there's no turning back. So what was it? It's been a week or two straight of pre 6 a.m. wake-ups, which for some of you out there listening is like, that's a normal morning because you are maybe a more mature adult than I am. And you get up and and you pray and you work out early in the morning, but I'm a night person and I don't do that. I do that stuff late in the day. Uh, The other day they woke up at like 4.57 AM. And when I see a four on the clock, I don't want to see anyone else at that point in time. So they crawl into our bed and they run around the house and they make a lot of noise and they threaten to wake everyone else up. And it's just a bit of a challenge. Again, I love them even in the morning. It's just hard for me to act in virtue when it's that early. So that's my heart. Uh, my high is, um, it's a very like Minnesota high, but the other day, um, I think it was yesterday morning, actually, there was a snowfall here up in Minnesota in the middle of winter. And it was like, you guys, the most beautiful snowfall that I've seen in, I think, uh, many years here in Minnesota. The snow is always beautiful and it's always great. But yesterday it was the kind of snow that's super wet and heavy and dense. So it just like sat and it like 
the trees that have no leaves, it just perfectly encrusted every single twig and branch on the trees. And the pine trees that do have needles caught all of the snow. So it's like, I love Bob Ross. And someday on this podcast, you will get to understand my deep abiding love for Bob Ross. It was like an an abject stone cold Bob Ross painting. Uh, Father Nathan, behind you right now is my poor attempt at painting a Bob Ross painting sitting in our podcast studio. It's not half bad. No, and look it turns at the little out, trees. Hey, look at the, they're so happy. So look happy at those happy trees. trees. Anyway, so yesterday was like a literal winter wonderland here in Minnesota. It was the best. Yeah. A girlfriend of mine said that just from the, the walk from the parking lot of the school to the school building, she made her children stop like 14 times so she could take pictures. And they were like, Mom, we're going to be late for school. And she's like, it's okay. It's worth it because we want to take these pictures. We were late for school. And I despite that, couldn't stop myself from taking pictures of trees in our alley. And the alley is not beautiful, but the trees were, and it was totally worth it. Is that why they were late? Because you were taking pictures? That's one of the reasons. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I don't think we were late that day. That was the other day, but we were close. But I got good pictures. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, send those to the admin. (laughs) See what he thinks. Father, you, you're high and hard. So my high and hard are the same, actually. So it is the extra. So the reason I'm saying that is, you know, in, in life, right, is you, you budget. I've heard you talk about this before many times, kind of as well as I'm doing just fine. And then when the extra happens, it's like the stretch where I'm like, I did not budget for that. But oftentimes it's the extra that actually brings the extra blessing. And so I've seen that, especially in ministry, like if we get a slurry of funerals come in or we get a drop by confession or something like this, like I, I didn't budget the time. So there's like this heart of like, okay, how do I fit this in? But it also, too, is some of the most rewarding ministry because it's totally the providence of God. I mean, you, you didn't orchestrate it. You didn't plan for it. It's God guiding this person or the situation. And then at that moment, like you you have no other option but to say, God, give me your grace. And so, mm. but it's also, too, it's crushing because you're like, I do not have enough. Uh, and I am very tired. And you have to... I just found myself looking at my own kind of interior reactions and saying, no. That is not appropriate for a grown adult, let alone a priest. So you can put that aside and deal with that later, but now you have to be present. And so the mm. hide and hard are the same. It's the extra. That's Two beautiful. sides of that coin. Yeah. I love that. It's, that's the exact idea behind doing highs and hards, right? A, a hard can certainly be a low. It can be a really terrible kind of crushing, objectively hard or you know, objectively terrible thing. But that kind of a hard is not a terrible thing. It's a beautiful opportunity, but it does bring challenges and it brings hardship into a busy day already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. That that lack of margin, like to realize you're living just thinly, you know, and I often think about it too, it's like dominoes and everything just needs to go perfectly according to plan so that every little, you know, tile can can stand tall um, and heaven forbid, yeah, one thing falls down. So Anyways, I yeah. I like that word, margins. I always use the word lean. Mm. Like I'm running lean. Yeah. So then there's just not a lot of fat to move with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the margins, I like that. I might integrate yeah. that. Thank you, Kenneth. Like, how about yourself? How can I? Yeah, thanks for asking. So um, I would say the hard is, um, you know, in especially in 
my life as a mom and as a wife, I want to be someone of intentional presence. I want whoever I'm speaking to to really feel like um, what I feel inside, which is you are important to me. What you are saying is important to me. This means a lot to me. Um, And so that means moving at a slower pace. And right now I am not moving at a slow pace. Um, Just between family life and work life and, you know, just some things, some additional responsibilities and expectations that are floating out there in the world, which I value, um, but are hard. Um, That is, um, it's, yeah, not much margin. Um, And so I'm moving at a fast pace. So today I had um, a meeting in which I had forgotten my wallet in the car, in the shopping bag, because I had actually before the meeting gone to the grocery store and had intended to do just 10 minutes of grocery shopping for the weekend because we're hosting something. But I ended up getting on the phone with someone and they needed more time for me. And so then I ended up literally driving to the grocery store and then driving back to the meeting (laughs) without having stepped inside the grocery store. So like it was, uh, yeah. Um, And so I come into this meeting without my wallet at a coffee shop and the person I'm meeting with says, can I just buy you the coffee? (laughs) And thankfully it's our local coffee shop and they're amazing and they have a tab for us. And so I was like, nope, I got this. (laughs) Like I'll just come back and pay it later. But it's those moments, right, where I'm just so hurried and so frenzied and particularly when the people that I want to be most present to are sensing that my mind is 17 other places because sometimes it really is Mm -hmm. as hard as I try. Um, So that is the hard, just that like, oh, I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who I feel called to be. And also I haven't yet figured out how to um, bring it back around and, Mm. and be who I want to be. So that's the the hard. Um, and then I would say right now, um, the high has been just little snippets of um, of time where I get to connect with some girlfriends who have also very busy lives, um, even just for 10 minutes. You know, at this point where we acknowledge and have waved the white flag that we can't have the hour-long chats that we're accustomed to and that we'd really like to. Um, and so we're just going to go for what we can and do the best we can. And so newborns, you know, in their arms, busy work schedule on my calendar, whatever, where we can get the time we do. And so these have been just awesome conversations. And it it just reminds me how incredibly powerful relationship and connection is. And, and as busy as my life is, like, I um, am in awe of what other people are capable of, and, and the way the Lord is moving in other people's lives and the things that they're accomplishing. So it's good. It breaks into my world. Um, and helps me to be other centric again. Um, so yeah, so those are my high, those are my high and hard. Um, so yeah, let's let's get focused on our topic for today, which I mentioned already is grief. Um, and Father, I don't even know if you remember what it was that inspired us putting this on the docket. Do you recall? I, I would I would love for you to refresh my memory. Okay. <laughs> Thank so, you for your kindness. Yeah. So you reached out to me and said, I have a parishioner ah, who yes. is experiencing grief. What resources do you have? And then you said, do we have a resource? Yes. You know, does the podcast have a resource? And if not, we need to create something. <laughs> there it is. It's coming back. It's all coming back to me now, right? Okay. All right, Celine. <laughs> <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. Duck on it. Uh, I have the perfect joke and you make it for First. Oh, it's, just, it's okay. It's you like can have that one. married or something. <laughs> we'll have a sing-along at the end of the episode. It'll no, be great. Oh, yeah. please. And I will withdraw. All right. There were flashes of light. <laughs> 
So, you know, I, I, and actually, I, I, I love that it came up in the context of someone coming to me really for spiritual direction um, and just kind of some counseling to see where God was in things. And at the end of it, it was like, well, actually, so we talked a lot about how, what God was doing, how he was working, where he was, how to kind of use prayer life uh, to engage grief. But then at a certain level, there is the reality of the human experience of grief. And that's where some counseling or even a grief group is actually very helpful. And so this is where like, I'm super grateful for the dynamic we have that I can reach out and say, okay, I've reached my threshold with theology and spirituality. Okay, where else can I direct them to gain those experiences? Such a both and um, of how we work together and complement and support each other. And and hopefully for that person and in, in for many of us out there too, like enrich mm. um, the gifts of each field, um, what each person's bringing. And it's probably useful before we get too far down the road and talking about the the specifics and the spiritual implications of grief, just to, to kind of set the stage a little bit um, for the three of us here and especially for you listening out there in the world somewhere. Um, maybe to just take a moment to think about your own experiences of grief throughout your life. Um, what are the losses that you have had to acknowledge and confront and cope with over the course of years? Um, we'll talk about this more later. Um, it, it certainly maybe one of the first associations we make with that is the death of a loved one. Uh, but there are many forms of grief. There are many losses um, beyond just the death of a person that we love that affect us and really um, can pop up in surprising ways. So I think it's helpful for you listening out there just to to be mindful of moments like that for a second. How do you feel in those moments? When when do you recognize them showing up in your life? Um, what is your normal response to those moments? What What do you do? How do you react when you feel those ways? Um, I think it's good to just kind of be mindful of that as we move forward here. Yeah. And I think to the, that exact point, Pat, is I, when we hear the word grief, we almost immediately go to death. But I think that that actually doesn't engage what grief is. And this is why we get stuck is there's many different aspects that we grieve in life. So just to give you like my first experience of grief in my life was when I was in fourth grade and my cousin was having his birthday party and he got gifts and I didn't. Hmm. And I was grieved Yeah, and it was totally inappropriate, but it was grief. Like I was so sad that I didn't get anything. And I mean, obviously then I learned like birthday parties are for the other person. All right? <laughs> right. It's <laughs> a hard lesson as a kid. I, know, yeah. I, know. I, I get my own once a year. All right. Just to appreciate your cousin. But, but I remember actually feeling such sadness and loss that someone else had something and I didn't. And so it, it might sound like jealousy or envy, but I think at the core of it, the experience that I had personally, even though those were the vices that were at work, it was the experience of grief kind of coming into my life. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I also, you know, think that that leads into the way that I would say I define grief. And when I'm listening to client stories, when I'm thinking about my own story, um, it's this idea about expectations, meaningful expectations that that don't get met um, or, you know, that shift and change, something unexpected happens. Um, and so, you know, that really, it's, it's a broad definition and it's purposefully so because um, it leaves room for what we call in the biz um, ambiguous losses. And I know we talked a bit in, about that on the Ashley Cermak episode as well, but, um, but these losses that culturally um, we don't accept or acknowledge as commonly 
um, as things like the death of a human person, um, but things like, you know, um, loss of um, career aspirations or what you thought your family would look like um, or, you know, where you would live, um, you know, just all sorts of things that we don't always have a, a rubric for how to move through that kind of grief. They're still significant and they can be huge sticking points. It makes me think too a lot about um, what we talked about in episode uh, 11 about emotions and feelings as messengers, especially that I know kind of with your clients, a lot of times you'll talk about the feeling of sadness and how sadness is located on the feelings wheel and that sadness communicates that there has been a loss. So not necessarily of a loved one, but that's really helpful that when I feel sad, when I feel the feelings associated with grief, it's helpful for me to reflect on, okay, what has been lost? Is it a, is it a job? Is it a dream? Is it an expectation? Is it a person? Uh, what is that loss exactly? And, and I think that actually makes grief very difficult to work through because we, we like to reserve the word for those who have experienced horrific tragedy. Hmm. And so we're, we're a lot of times unwilling to apply the correct experience that we're having, which is grief. And we feel almost like shameful, right? I mean, here, like someone has lost a loved one and I'm grieving the fact that I went to the store and they don't have Cocoa Puffs. I mean, like, <laughs> and I, I just, I feel, I feel like I can't have that experience or emotion because it's not fair to the other person who has lost someone. Mm. And I think that this is why we get stuck is all these losses then compound. And so Sure, maybe it's Cocoa Puffs, but then it's I get a cancellation of a friend, like as you were talking about, Kenna, I was really looking forward to this. And then something extra comes in that has extra demands of me. And now I don't get to go watch, you know, rewatch Moon Knight uh, on, on Marvel, <laughs> Disney Plus. All right. And, and so all these things compound. And now I find myself really feeling just kind of agitated and at a loss. And a lot of it is because I haven't been able to acknowledge there's been a lot of grief. Yeah, I I remember. Um, I, gosh, I don't know if if this is a saint's quote. Like, please send us a note so that we can uh, properly attribute it to the right holy man or woman. But a friend saying to me, um, "Just because your cross isn't the heaviest doesn't mean it's not heavy." And so that kind of relativistic game that we can play, and and I hear this often, and I I probably fall prey to it too. Of you know, I start to let myself feel that vulnerable, very tender, very raw emotion of sadness and grief. And then I stop short because I'm like, oh, mine's not the biggest cross. So I got to shut that down. And I hear that a ton too, is like, so someone will say, I'm struggling with this and this and this, like, especially in the confessional, right? And then they'll go, well, you know, other people have it worse than I do. And I go, okay, I I get that. But can we just put pause on that piece and let's talk about what you're experiencing because it's causing disruption in your life. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, sure, I, I I really appreciate you want to minimize so that you can see that like other people are suffering too. Like, if you want to compare first world to Haiti, like I mean, come on, all right, all of us have nothing to complain about. We have water that we can drink without question, right? But but really, if we don't acknowledge those crosses, kind of as you brought up, it, it actually causes a lot of damage, both spiritually and psychologically. And we, you know. All of us know experiences of grief in our life. All of us have been through moments of of great loss, um, no matter how we are tempted to compare that to other people's hardship or not. Um, I know, Kenna, in the past few episodes, you've hinted at times about some of the difficulty and some of the loss that we've experienced in our family lately. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, our experience of grief and kind of how we bring that to a conversation like this? 
Yeah, I mean, I can. And I and I share this because, um, well, number one, um, sometimes living in mystery can be distracting and we don't want to be distracting here. Um, we want you to be able to receive, um, you know, what we're what we're sharing. Um, and number two, um, because a lot of my reflections, you know, that we'll share on the rest of this episode really do come from my own experiences of grief most recently. So, you know, over the course of the last 18 months or so, um, we've experienced the death of my father due to a very brief and very aggressive um, battle with cancer. Um, and and within that, um, that it's related to um, some unjust behavior on the part of an organization near his workplace. Um, so there are legal griefs as well and definite questions of justice and fairness and rightness there. Um, and then a couple months after that, my sister, um, the next oldest sister after me, was killed in a hit and run on her bicycle um, by a negligent driver. Um, and and so, you know, that just coming on the heels of our father's death um, and shocking, right? I mean, we could say with dad, we saw that coming with my sister, absolutely not. Um, and so that, you know, just absolutely gave us whiplash. And I had a totally different experience of grief um, with her. She was six months married and um, a school teacher on the first weekend of summer, you know, just, just, yeah, there was so much about that that was like cognitively discombobulating for me. Um, and then shortly after that, my grandmother receiving a terminal diagnosis um, and saying goodbye to her. Um, so so over these 18 months, I mean, we have been in the in the thick of it, in the grief crucible. Um, and also it has been incredibly rich with wrestling with this topic. Um, so I guess all that also is to say I'm sharing from a place of like acknowledging that I'm in the process of grief. And I do not sit here as an expert or as someone who can even claim to like, quote, be on the other side. I don't know what that would mean anyway, but um, that is definitely not the position I'm taking, but more like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be open and vulnerable about my story as well as what I've experienced clinically. You know, kind of just even hearing you say that, I'm, I've had the opportunity to journey with you through a lot of this but just even to hear you recount it so succinctly, it just my I, I mean I started tearing up just because it, it is so much. Um, and I'm I'm just curious. I mean, are you are you able to articulate um, how those griefs because they are different, how they've kind of felt in your own heart and soul? Like, do they do they weigh differently, or how have they affected you differently? Because I think that would just even be helpful for people to hear, like because yeah. you have had such extreme experiences so close to each other. Can you could you actually articulate that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I think this is part of what um, illuminates my definition of grief as being these unmet expectations, because you know the death of my almost ninety year old grandmother versus my thirty something year old sister. Um, that's different. Um, that feels different. The expectations that I had of getting to be an aunt to her children and getting to, uh, um, you know, dote on her kids the way that she has had doted on mine for 12 years, um, things like that. Yeah, it, it weighs differently. And the other thing that that I'm learning are about the griefs within the griefs. Mm. Or maybe it's the grieves within the grieves. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to say that grammatically, but but like it's the the losses that um, that I didn't know um, were even possible because it was in the death that the expectations were 
were made clear. Um, so for example, I didn't know how much I was looking forward to her having children. Let's just stay with that for a minute until it was no longer a possibility. Um, and so that's something also that I think in therapy, I really get the the privilege when I sit in the, the therapist chair to listen for that in people's stories more these days um, and to help them um, maybe notice and be able to grieve things that they didn't that weren't in their consciousness yet. And, and I really appreciate how you shared that kind of so vulnerably. And I, 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 as you said it, what was coming to my mind is this is why I think grief doesn't follow a normal trajectory. And I, I know people want to say like, when is it going to be done? And it's like, well, actually, here's the thing is, as you said, with, with your sister's passing, well, I, I, you know, the event happened, we had the funeral, we were moving forward and then boom, I'm hit with a new realization of here's another loss. And this is just part of the grieving process. It doesn't mean that something's wrong. I mean, you can't even think through those things. And and this is why I think grief oftentimes feels so heavy is because we don't know when it's going to end. And just to kind of pair the theological virtue of hope with this is this is actually what allows us to kind of navigate sustained amounts of long-term grief. And and this could, I mean, you obviously brought up three examples of of someone passing but like even let's say a marriage that didn't turn out how you wanted, or let's say you spent all of this money on a degree and now you're in your field and you're like, this is horrible. And now you're stuck in it and you have debt to pay. You can't get out of it. I mean, so this is prolonged grief. And so things will awaken at different levels. And it doesn't mean that something's wrong or that I'm not at dealing with it or working through it, but it's popping up in different ways. And I, I, um, I had never really understood that idea. Well, first of all, Father, I want to come back to that virtue of hope in a moment, because I think that's crucial to this whole conversation, especially in a lens of faith, of course. But um, I, I had never really been through kind of that intense of a season of grief like we've been through for the past 18 months. For whatever reason, God has graced me with very few... Um, losses of loved ones in my life so far. So I know there are folks out there listening who have lost parents and siblings and children and best friends um, and and really significant um, losses in their lives. Um, so this was really the first experience for me of walking in moments like that. And I just remember there were moments kind of where you would be doing something very mundane, very normal. You would you know be coming home from the grocery store or something like that. And all of a sudden, this wave of grief would just hit you. And for no reason, and you you wouldn't know why, um, why it was that thing more than anything the day before or something like that, just totally surprising. And it was um, really difficult for both of us to walk through that, but a really beautiful opportunity for me to understand what grief can look like in moments like that. It was really unique, I think, for me as well, just to be kind of a third party griever in some ways. You know, it, it was... A strange um, circumstance. I certainly loved your dad and your sister and your grandmother, but my relationship with them was very different than yours, obviously. So in the process of my own experiences of grief and sadness in their death, I was still being called to be present to you and to be supporting and loving of you in moments like that as well. And I think, Pat, that actually brings up a really good point that I'd love to kind of kind of dissect a little bit is about the yeah. triggers. Yeah, by all means. And because I think this is something that often catches us off guard is we, we don't realize the things that cue us in. So we're, we're sensual beings. And so 
based on um, some, how someone smells, uh, even as strange as that sounds, right? Uh, how someone looks. I mean, if you're in a crowd and you see someone, then like, oh my gosh, that's so-and-so. Like, nope, no, it's not. <laughs> right. Um, you hear a song on the radio, you go to a certain location. So all of these things in the physical world prompt us to things. And sometimes they're so confusing. And like in the most extreme sense, right, is you have like PTSD, where there's a trigger and the person's, you know, brain isn't even conscious until they're like on the floor like shaking right right and i think that these these triggers oftentimes they make grief work really hard because as you the example of the grocery store is brilliant because it's like it's a it's a grocery store right so yeah. i mean kenna would you be able to share a little bit about that just to kind of maybe help the listener understand it yeah um you know i i think what I've come to understand is that um, my grief is often just in my back pocket. And there are moments when um, it, you know, slips out, it, it comes out related to something. Um, and it's really my reaction, my response to it. How, how compassionate can I be toward myself when it shows up? Um, I remember distinctly, you know, Pat, what you're talking about, it was um, back to school at Target mm -hmm. is like that first time that I came home and just bawling and you were like, what is going on? And I was, I couldn't, I don't even think I could come out with the words, but my sister was a teacher. And so back to school time was just like a super exciting time of year for her. Um, and so that trigger showed up and, and I mean, we really, Pat had to work you know, you on your side to receive me and me to be vulnerable and open with you to just, oh, like, just let it be and, mm -hmm. and to be honest and to be humble about what I was feeling and to not feel compelled to explain myself to you or to rationalize it um, or to, yeah, to justify the, the quote, amount of reaction I was having to seeing pencils and paper, you know, in the in the target. So um so yeah, I mean triggers are very, very tricky. And um my experience walking with clients, especially who are much further along in some of these, you know, more significant concrete griefs, um, is that they can last a lifetime. I mean, they can really um yeah, they, they can catch you by surprise when you least expect it. And uh they can I call it my forever frenemy because I, I I love it because it reminds me of how deeply I loved these people. And also it's really hard to be with sometimes. And, and I, I love that you said, Kenna, and it's not a despairing comment to say they'll always be with you. Because to be honest, like even though it's painful to have those triggers, it's also a way, I mean, um, C.S. Lewis and Sheldon Von Eckham have this book, A Severe Mercy. Mm. And, and, and C.S. Lewis talks about how this is a severe mercy is because if they were just to kind of completely be washed away and you had no triggers, you'd also forget the person and all those things that you held dear. So you, even though it's painful to experience and it's overwhelming at times, it sounds weird to say you don't want to get rid of the trigger. You just want to learn how to say, and, and this is part of the, the, the compassion that we have toward ourselves is this thing triggered me. And oh my gosh, my sister was such a beautiful teacher and I really loved that she had this gift. And I'm not going to shame myself for missing that aspect of my sister. I'm going to treasure the fact that she showed me the beauty of the education field. And for the sake of you listening out there, just as an aside, I'll put um, a link to A Severe Mercy that Father just mentioned, as well as A Grief Observed, another one of C.S. Lewis's books, which is just phenomenal and goes even deeper than we can go in the time that we've got here. Um, 
And it starts to move, I think, in the direction of placing grief theologically or spiritually as well. Um, you know, we as people of faith come at grief in a particular way, right? And sometimes I think as important as that is, as important as it is to live as people of the resurrection in the midst of grief, it can lead to some difficult questions for us that deserve good answers. You know, a lot of times we can feel like, well, why why am I sad if I believe in heaven, if I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and this person was a faithful follower of Christ. I maybe I shouldn't be sad because I believe that they're in heaven, you know. Or um, on and on the flip side, uh, maybe we're thinking to ourselves like, "Am I really that faithful if I'm sad?" You know, like, "Am I allowing myself to be faithful?" Father, how would you kind of place grief in in kind of a spiritual understanding like that? Yeah. And again, I just kind of want to make the the distinction because there's the levels of grief. So like when someone that we love has been lost and, you know, we're, we're grieving them, but we know that they had a faith in the Lord and we'll see them again. So that there is that piece of grief and mm. it doesn't question one's faith because how we related to them has changed. And right. I mean, it's, it's like the equivalency of like, yeah, sure. They may, maybe they have given the, been great, <laughs> granted the grace of heaven, no purgation, like they're just singing in the choir but how they interact with us and how we perceive their interaction is it's a different medium that we have just, we're not familiar with. Sure, sure. But I think that there's also too in the fact that this is, a, I mean, it's Ecclesiastes, right? Is everything is fading. Like mm-hmm. in this world, there is nothing permanent. I saw this little quote that said, um, you know, attention, the leading cause of uh, death is birth. which is is cheesy but it's like but it's also true like we're we're constantly always losing something and so i think that this is part of where like the saints are so beautiful in their witness and they talk about detachment and abandonment because what they're saying is the more that we hold tightly onto the things of this world the more difficult it actually is to accept the reality that things are always taken away to and so even with your you know beautiful children right I'm sure that you look back and you're like, oh, I remember when so-and-so was so innocent and they didn't rebel and they didn't, you know, test everything and question everything. And they didn't wake up at 4.57 a.m. Yes, all, exactly. All those right. beautiful <laughs> things, right? And so th- there's a grief of the loss and you can't get that back. Mm. And this is where the, the virtue of hope is, is there's always something that's more that's even better. And so this is what the disciples were wrestling with, even on the morning of the resurrection, right? Is Mary Magdalene runs and like, they've taken the body and they're experiencing like, okay, was he actually saying that this is going to happen? Like that he is going to raise? And they were questioning, they didn't know how to fit it. And then they saw him and it says that they were incredulous with joy, but they also didn't come near him. Like, (laughs) and they just kind of stared at him. Like, and they didn't want to ask him too many questions. So there is this, uh, awkwardness of how we engage the reality that all things are going away, but then all things are new. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this um, reminds me a little bit of an experience I had um, after after my sister Carly died. And I, um, Father, you had just started your 
sabbatical, right, in Ireland. And um, so we had texted a little bit before you left um, when it happened. But but about a week later, you know, Pat, you and I were down in her hometown, and um, I was in my angry <laughs> stage of grief. If, if, you know, you're familiar with um, Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, um, they, I, I would... I would say they're not linear. It's more like a spiraling staircase. We come back around to things again and again and again. We're a little bit different each time we come to it. I, I trust I will feel angry again another day about all of this, um, but it's not where I'm at today. But um, but I was really angry, and I called a friend, um, a priest friend, and he said, what do you need? Um, I was like, well, my spiritual director is in Ireland, so um, I need to talk to you instead. Um, and, uh, and he was so good to me. And and he said, just lay it on me. And I just, I really did. I, I was angry, and I raised all my questions. I probably raised my voice. And he just, oh, you know, across the miles, he was here in Minnesota. I was in South Carolina. Like, he really just received me. And it was that honesty of my probably rage, honestly, at that point, that actually allowed me to see God the Father and God the Son um, in that moment and to see how grieved they were about what I was going through and what, you know, the circumstances were um, of the un- of the injustice. Um, and, and that was huge for me in terms of really letting me like move into my humanity. And, and it, it was the gateway to the hope um, because it was then that I started to believe, like really feel and sense God's mercy and his love and his desire to be united with us. And I could begin to have that hope beyond the reality of my sister's earthly life. I, I love your instinct to, to move into community, to absorb the grief. Mm. And that's one of the things that I've seen over the years is grief often makes us want to isolate and it is the worst thing we could possibly do. Right. And so like the fact that the Holy Spirit was moving you, even in the midst as you're going through that anger and rage, I can't separate. I need to lean in. And so you went to this priest, which I want his name, by the way. All right. Sounds like a really- Father Chad Van Hoos. <laughs> sounds like a great priest. All right. And, and you, you, you leaned in and so he could absorb some of the grief so you could process it. And this is where like, you know, spiritual direction or counseling and even just, I mean, honestly, confession too, or even just talking with a friend, it absorbs some of the grief so that we don't walk it alone. And there's a key difference, obviously, between acknowledging to myself, I need some space right now, right? That That's not isolation. That's acknowledging the reality of the moment, that it, it's going to be too taxing or require too much of me to be around people in this specific moment. But uh, doing that consistently, and especially to the extent that it keeps my feelings and my experience of this grief inside, that is the part that leads to really dangerous places for a lot of us, I think. Um, I think a lot of um, uh, the road to Emmaus, obviously, in Luke's gospel, um, these disciples of Jesus who have have seen him die, so they are grieving the loss of a man that they knew. But I, I think even more than that, they're grieving the loss of everything that he was teaching, right? I mean, they had put their hope in this person who was saying that he was, again, the way, the truth, and the life. And all of a sudden, the life is dead? Like, how does that make any sense? So I can just imagine them walking to Emmaus, but really being aimless. Like, maybe they have a goal of that walk, but the goal of their life has been stripped away. So they're grieving 
that loss of meaning and purpose and value as well. And in the midst of that darkness, Jesus himself comes to meet them, you know, that kind of tangible incarnational moment where he speaks to them, he meets them, he breaks bread with them, um, so much so that they invite him to stay with them, having no idea who he is yet, right? <laughs> because they, they've been shown what he is all about. Again, they're reminded the truth of who he is. Um, that kind of communion, not only with one another, like you were saying, Father, but communion with the Lord in the sacraments, in prayer, in conversation with other friends of Jesus uh, is so crucial to, to our experience of processing grief. And, and exactly to your point, Kenna, is as they shared their hearts, like they say, like our hearts were burning within us and they go, it, it's the Lord. They see the Lord in the breaking of the bread, right? But it's that that shared communion. And suddenly now they're, they're free to see, just as you shared in your beautiful experience, right? With Father Chad, as soon as I shared this, I could see what was really going on. And I think that if we've really done good grief work and we've shared to someone that we have these aha moments like, okay, it doesn't resolve the grief, but I see it. I see clearly now those things that I was missing. I think um, uh, it's really helpful to to move toward the, you know, not practical so much in, in how do I fix my grief? Because that's not the question and grief is not a problem to be solved. It's an experience to be lived and understood and to be drawn closer to God and the people that we love through it. Um, but in terms of, of going through the process of grief, I'm interested in, in both of your take on um in a moment, I want to get to, are are there correct, healthy ways to go through grief? But maybe I want to start first with, are, is, is there a wrong way to grieve? I think a lot of people maybe go through grief thinking to myself, well, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't think this way. I shouldn't be doing this. Um, are, are, there, are there unhealthy, um, unhelpful ways to grieve? What, what would those look like? I know one of the unhealthy ways for sure is kind of what we just briefly touched on is, oh, well, my, my cross doesn't matter. So like the, the ignoring the fact that you're grieving is probably one of the worst ways, uh, to actually say like, no, I, I am, this is, this is legit. This is real. And I think another way, and you actually use it a couple of times in what you were saying, Pat, is the should and shouldn'ts. Mm. And I think this just cripples people is they say, oh, I should be this, or it should look like this, or, or like, it shouldn't be this. Like, so let's say a person has lost a loved one. And suddenly they find themselves laughing at the Christmas tree with their family. Sure. And they're like, I should not be happy. So-and-so just passed. It's like, no, 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 no. Like this, this is okay. Like don't, don't cut yourself short. This is part of the healing process. So I think that the, the should and shouldn'ts oftentimes hinder natural grief progression. You know, I'll come at this question, Pat, from another angle. And that is for those of us who are in relationship with those who are grieving. Um, and this is something that um, I get the privilege to work with clients on all the time because they're trying to figure out how to adapt in relationship with, you know, perhaps a friend who's received a cancer diagnosis um, or a friend who's going through a divorce, you know, a, br a brother or sister who's going through a divorce um, or a dear friend who's lost their job, you know, while they continue to excel in their field. 
And one of the things we we talk about is being honest about the impact of the the change that that does create in the relationship. And a phrase I'll often use is like, does it feel like you have to bubble wrap them? Um, does it feel like the relationship has become one dimensional and that you no longer get to say, you know, to them, hey, you didn't respond to my text message. Like, what's up with that? You know, and, you know, obviously there's a there's a. Um, an understandable period of time where you know we we cut people some slack and we give them a bit a bit more space and we're understanding and compassionate and give them the benefit of the doubt but you know years later um we really do a disservice to those who are grieving when we don't treat them like a whole person capable of adult things and so that i would say you know would also fall into like oh that's not helpful someone was recounting to me that um a friend of theirs who had gone through a significant loss said it's so helpful to me when um you know when people reach out and i say oh i i can't fulfill that obligation that you're asking me. And they go, okay, well, I'm going to go do that thing anyway. And she was like, I just, I feel like they see me and they still see me as that fully functioning adult and not um, treating me as that very sad, you know, person um, who, who doesn't get to be, um, yeah, doesn't get to be seen with their dignity um, and, and responsibility, able to fulfill those responsibilities. And I think a lot of the unhelpful, um, uh, ways of coping with grief that we're talking about again come back to isolation father you know um there may be many practical expressions of that but you know if someone um goes through a difficult breakup in college or their college grades are way worse than they wanted them to be and they go out and they just start partying wednesday through monday um that's a form of isolation if the funny thing is even if you're in a bar full of people it's a really convenient way to isolate right because i don't have to think about my sadness i don't certainly don't have to talk to anyone about it i'm not expected to connect with anyone on that kind of a level you know um if uh, if i lose my job and I just go to the basement every night and start drinking and watching football. Uh, again, that's an effective way to isolate. So the manifestations can be different in lots of different ways. They're not always alcohol. Maybe I immerse myself in work or in exercise or in eating. There could be a, a bunch of different physical manifestations that come down to the idea of not being comfortable sitting in the experience of grief and acknowledging it and then like you said, Father, being willing to distribute that among people who love me and are willing to support me through it. And this is the hard reality. You you do not get to ignore grief. Mm. So if you hit the pause button with distractions, it's going to wait for you. I say in my office, there are no loopholes. Like you don't get you. You are not the one human who has figured out how to circumvent the difficulty that is grief. And 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 it's one of those both ends again, because that is both bummer news and also what a gift that the Lord would allow us to to know a little bit. Of, of what he has experienced, um, you know, certainly in his crucifixion, but also in the ways that we turn away from him and he grieves our waywardness and our sinfulness. Um, and so, you know, I just, I remember so many dear friends would remind me of that when, when we were kind of in this tsunami of grief. I think, Father, you coined that phrase, the tsunami of grief for me, but um, just like, you know, Kenna, can you let this be an experience of feeling intimacy with the Lord that um, that he would allow you to to know just a bit of what it's like um, to love so so much and to be let down um, in 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 many different ways 
And I think it, it, it's helpful too to just um, listen to the voice of the Lord in the midst of our grief, like like asking the question, what does God have to say about this? Um, if, if I'm a human being loved by God, uh, then he has something to say about this situation, even if, you know, not grief related necessarily, even really terrible things like sin, God has something to say about that. And it's to say that the sin is bad and I am good, right? So in the midst of grief, what, what does God have to say about that? I mean, there, there are obvious um, moments in scripture where Jesus speaks to this exact experience, right? We think of the Sermon on the Mount, something as clear as, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, right? Um, and again, it speaks to that hope. There's a relationship between the present and the future there, right? Blessed are those who are currently mourning because there will come a day where they find comfort, where they find consolation. And there there are glimpses of that, certainly in this life. There are moments of consolation, hopefully many of them, but there's an ultimate consolation awaiting those who love and are faithful to Christ, right? Um, I think it's a consolation oftentimes when people ask kind of existential questions sometimes, like the, the, the most cliche or the most common of those is why would bad things happen to good people, right? Like... Um, why would God allow this to happen? And I loved it, just this really um, brief answer to that or, or way of addressing that. In the very first chapter of the book of Wisdom in the Old Testament, we hear that because God did not make death, nor does he rejoice in the destruction of the living. And it's this this crucial reminder. I mean, we could talk for three weeks about the implications of this, but this crucial reminder to us that God did not desire death. He did not create death, and death is actually not a part of God's plan. It's a part of what we, fellow sinners, brought into God's perfect plan through our own sinfulness. Um, when we, starting with Adam and Eve and all the way down to me, Pat Millay, when we have left the will of the author of life, it's no surprise to us that the consequence of that is death in all of the different ways that death shows up in our lives. Um, and the the verse that really I think is is most significant for us, especially when we're faced with the grief of the loss of a loved one, we we talked about hope earlier, Father, is this amazing verse from First uh, Thessalonians. Um, St. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in chapter four. He says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. And of course, that's kind of biblical code for those who have died so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose, so too will God through Jesus bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And again, it doesn't mean that we are not allowed to be sad. St. Paul is not trying to direct our emotions or tell us what we should or should not be feeling. He's just reminding us of God's perfect plan for our lives. And I think that just to go back to one of the ancient images of hope, it's always depicted as an anchor. Mm. And, and I think it's very fitting. It kind of helps us to categorize it in our mind to say, what is the anchor in our life that is unnegotiable? And it's that God is present and he's going to see us through this. And even if things are very dark and horrendous, and some of the situations I've come through in my pastoral work too, they're they're beyond nightmares, um, and yet it, it, the the Lord is still working through it. He can make good come even from the bad. There, there's a um, one of the mothers of the Sandy Hook victims mm-hmm. has been writing reflections in the Magnificat, and every time that I see it, not only do I tear up just knowing what those poor people went through, but it's also too like she has an ability to speak hope because she didn't give up. 
And so like her words just hold this weight. They're like an anchor of like, oh my goodness, this is truth. And so like no one wants to go through those horrendous things. But as the anchor is established, you can navigate through the storm in a way and speak truth into people's lives that is profound. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the grief is easier, but it means that we are never alone, right? I mean, it's easy to turn to Christ in moments like that. Um, Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He knows what grief looks like. It's easy to turn to Our Lady in moments like that, like this this perfect woman who watched her son be murdered in front of her and go through all the grief of losing her husband, Joseph, losing her son, losing all these dreams in her life about what it might involve. Um, We have lots of good friends in heaven in the saints, too, that we can talk to and that we can ask for their partnership and their love. Um, It's been a beautiful conversation, um, and I'm really grateful to to start this kind of a conversation. I'm sure we'll come back to it many more times in the future. It's a spiraling staircase, Pat. Didn't you hear me say? (laughs) We'll be back. It'll be a little different, (laughs) but we'll be back here again. (laughs) So maybe like grief, we won't know when it'll pop up. It'll just show up in other episodes that we don't plan. We'll have to wait and see. (laughs) And you may grieve that we're talking about. (laughs) So let's let's start um, uh, wrapping up with our challenge by choice, Father. Um, uh, You had an idea for something that we might be able to do to kind of start this process process of of being present to our grief. What kind of a challenge by choice would you suggest? Yeah, I think the, the main thing is just to recognize everyone has grief in their lives. And so the question is, can you locate yours? Mm. And I, I, we talked about, you know, grieving the loss of not getting presents on your birthday to grieving the loss of someone that we love dearly. And all of us have that, but if we can't acknowledge it and locate it, oftentimes it's going to pop up in ways that we didn't realize. Mm. And so really the challenge that I have is, can you locate your grief and just do a check-in with yourself to see how you feel about having grief in your life? And as you kind of acknowledge and label it, it, how how do you feel about that? And, And the goal is not to solve the grief. It's actually to become aware of it. That's beautiful. Thank you, Father. That's a great opportunity, especially for those uh, listeners out there who, like me, a few years ago, might have been tempted to think to myself, well, I I haven't had grief because no one that I've been super close to has died. So there is no grief in my life. And that is categorically false because, as, as we've talked about, we live in a world that is slowly, gradually passing away. And all of us have losses in our lives that that we need to acknowledge so that we can be close to Christ in the midst of those moments. Yeah. Um, why don't we draw close to Christ, Father? Do you mind uh, wrapping us up in prayer for this episode? Absolutely. So for the prayer, I'm actually going to just read, it's a passage, it's Lamentations chapter 3, verses um, 19, and we'll see where I stop. I don't really know. So it starts at 19. (laughs) I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to those the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good to bear the yoke while we are young. Let us sit in silence, for the Lord has laid it on us. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope.
Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. Heavenly Father, we ask for you, please, to grant us the sight and the courage to see the grace that you have for us in the midst of grief, that we may not lose hope even in the trials and distress we have. We commend this prayer to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 This has been really, really beautiful. Thank you, Father, for uh, being with us. Thank you for sharing your your heart and uh, your soul with our good listeners. Thank you, Love of My Life, for sharing yourself with me and with all of us as well. Yeah, and thank you for, um, you know, to both of you gentlemen for helping me kind of lean into more vulnerable um, parts of my own life and um, for for showing such reverence and, and such respect for what my experience has been. So thank you. Friends out there, we would love to um, hear from you. Um, even if there are things that are that are really difficult to share, um, we, for um, all of our desire for you to not be isolated, we would love to be someone that you would be willing to share your feelings and your thoughts with, your experiences of grief, um, if that's helpful to you at all. You can do that on our website at thiswholelifepodcast.com. Please follow this podcast. You can share it with your friends, especially maybe anyone who is going through a period of grief right now, whether it's a loss that they experienced recently or a loss that's 30 years old, um, anyone that's going through those feelings of grief, uh, would you share this with them uh, and see if it's something that might be helpful for them? Uh, you can also uh, follow us on Instagram at This Whole Life Podcast and on Facebook as well at This Whole Life Podcast. God bless you, friends. We are praying for you. Please keep us in your prayers, and we will see you next time. You're not alone. You're not alone. This Whole Life is a production of the Martin Center for Integration. Visit us online at thiswholelifepodcast.com. I, didn't, that was, I had no plan. I just was going to leave space in case you as, wanted as to. As they look but lovingly you into to. each other's That's eyes. That's fine. That's right. <laughs> All right. Back to focus. Come on. Podcast needs to end. Ah. <laughs>